As I said already earlier in the service during the prayer time that today is Palm Sunday, and it's the start of what we call the Holy Week or the Passion Week. And um, so we're going to be taking a break from our study in the book of Joshua for this Sunday and next as we consider what Jesus Christ accomplished for us so many years ago in Jerusalem. Our text this morning is going to be in John chapter 12. And I hope that you brought a copy of God's Word with you. You know, we're committed here at Fellowship to be studying the Word of God verse by verse, letting the Word of God speak to the issues that are at hand, trusting that the Lord is going to work through His Word in our lives. And the Bible's our authority. The Bible's our authority for life. And so let me encourage you always to bring the Word of God with you. If you're taking notes, this is the time for you to take out your journal, your notebook page, and you can, um, you know, use the sermon guide in the, in the bulletin there to, to help you with that. But that's the Holy Week. And so um, John chapter 12 is a one-chapter summary that basically covers the Passover Saturday through um, Thursday. The, or the Saturday is the Sabbath through Thursday, the start of the Passover. And so we have that in John chapter 12. But this... The synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Mark, Matthew, Mark, and Luke also give to us in a more expansive detail what happened on that final week of Christ's life. Each of the gospel records spend nearly 25% in each of the gospel records, 25% of that particular gospel is spent on the last week of Christ's life. So this is pretty significant stuff that's happening here. And so if you're taking notes, you might want to just copy down these references here. You've got John chapter 12 that covers the Holy Week, you know, Saturday to Thursday, Sabbath to Passover. But you also see the same parallel counts in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 21, verses, uh, verse 1 to chapter 26, verse 16. Mark chapter 11, verse 1 through chapter 14, verse 11. And then Luke's Gospel, Luke 19, verse 28 through chapter 22, verse 6. And so this is the start of the Holy Week. And I want us to consider this morning what happened, you know, so many years ago on that Palm Sunday. And I want us to consider the significance for our lives today. 2020 was a bizarre year for so many reasons. And even before COVID started, so if you can imagine life before COVID, I said, we're probably all sick. Last Sunday I said, we're probably all sick of COVID. No pun intended on that one. But, um, uh, so I'm going to talk, I'm not going to talk about it, I just mentioned it again, I apologize for doing that. But before COVID, I don't know if you guys remember the start, like I think it was January 2020, Prince Harry and Meghan Merkel, you guys remember those folks? And, and being Americans, we're not as interested in the royalty as Canadians are, but in the British Commonwealth, royalty is a big deal. And, but in January of 2020, uh, Prince Harry and Meghan announced that they would be stepping down as royals. And although Prince Harry's not the next in line to be king, I did find it kind of puzzling and strange that someone would want to walk away from royalty. Doesn't that seem kind of strange to you? It does to me. You guys, <laughs> okay, there you go, thank you. For the, whoever said, yep, thank you. Uh, and so, uh, when we think of what happened on Palm Sunday, though, it was the opposite response to what was happening there by the crowds who were coming uh, from Jerusalem to Passover. On Palm Sunday, Jesus was being escorted from Bethany towards Jerusalem with the crowds who were with him. 
after he had raised Lazarus from the dead. And as they were journeying to Jerusalem, those who had come to Jerusalem for Passover heard that Jesus was coming. And so this crowd is coming up from Jerusalem and they're meeting Jesus on the road. And you can just imagine that crowd, right? So five years ago, we're, Vicky, you guys gave a gift to Vicky and I. We were able to go to Jerusalem. And here's the amazing thing. We walked down Mount Olive, the Mount of Olives, right? And neither of us have a picture of it on our phones. Can you believe that? But Vicky does have a picture. Uh, we got the picture. There we go. This is at the bottom of the Mount of Olives. After we've made that descent, we're right in front of the Garden of Gethsemane. So the Garden of Gethsemane is behind us, and we're looking at the city of Jerusalem. So you can see how close we are to the city. This is where we're fixing to get on the bus here. The bus is on this major road there. But, um, but that is where this all took place, what we're going to take a look at in the Scriptures here this morning. Jesus is coming to the city of Jerusalem. The crowds are crying out for a king. They they're, don't understand what's happening. They want a king who's going to lead them in war to overthrow the Roman occupation. And Jesus came not to be crowned as a king that time, but to give his life as a ransom for sin. And so today as we look at John chapter 12, we're going to consider three responses to Christ the King as evidenced by the people who were there on Palm Sunday. Three responses to Christ the King as evidenced by people on Palm Sunday. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, wrote that people are left with a trilemma regarding Jesus Christ. We have three options of what to do with Jesus Christ. Lewis writes, he says, you, their first option is to consider that Jesus Christ is a liar. Like, he knew he was not God, and yet he intentionally deceived people by telling them that he was the Son of God. So one option that we can do with Jesus, well, one option we can do with Jesus Christ is that he's a liar. The second option is, Lewis says, is that we can consider Christ a lunatic. That Jesus sincerely believed he was the Son of God, but he's not the Son of God. He was himself deceived, himself mad and deranged. The third option is that Jesus Christ is Lord. That he is the Son of God as he claimed to be. Obviously, that's the position that I take and I'm going to be arguing for this morning. That Jesus is the Son of God as he claimed to be. And so in the same way, you and I are faced with a trilemma. How will you, how will I respond to Christ the King? As we look at the text this morning, we're going to see that although Jesus was misunderstood and rejected, he um, came as king overall. He is king overall. Jesus, we're going to see the response of being misunderstood and rejected, and yet Christ came to be king overall. Let's read, our, let's read God's word this morning. Now, John chapter 12, we're going to pick up the story here on Palm Sunday, beginning in verse 12. We're going to read down to verse 19, the word of God. The next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, and they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! This is the passage that we read this morning, Psalm 118. Hosanna, God, save us, save us now, Lord! 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciple did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified, notice this, at first the disciples didn't understand this, only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he had called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. And so the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. And so here we find in this passage of Scripture this morning, three groups of people, three different responses to Jesus Christ, right? The first group is the crowd. We see the crowd wanting to coronate or crown Jesus Christ as king. We see the second group, the disciples here in John chapter 12. They're confused. They don't understand what is going on. Yet... Something's going to happen. Jesus is going to be glorified. We're going to unpack that in a little bit. And then there's the consternation of the Pharisees. They, they said, man, this isn't getting us anywhere. The whole world is going out after Jesus. We have to do something now. And so here we find these three groups of people, three different responses to Christ the King. And so let's consider these responses. Like the crowd, there are those who misunderstand Jesus and seek Him for their gain. Like the crowd... There are those who misunderstand Jesus and seek him for their gain. John begins this passage of scripture with a time delineator. He says the next day, and so we have to ask ourselves, what is the next day? Well, verse 1, chapter 12, opens up and tells us that six days before the Passover, this was Saturday, the Sabbath. The next day then, verse 12, would be Sunday. On that Sunday, Jesus was going from Bethany, the home of Mary Martha, Lazarus, and he was met by those who had come from Jerusalem for the Passover feast, and the gospel writers tell us what happened. The Bible tells us that the crowds were waving their palm branches. The palm branches had become a national symbol for the nation of Israel. When Simon Maccabee, a little bit of history, Simon Maccabee drove out the Syrian forces out of Jerusalem. He was hailed with music and the waving of palm branches. Uh, during the Feast of Tabernacles, when the choir would sing uh, Psalm 118, they would wave the palm branches uh, as, as prescribed by the law. And so not only were they waving the palm branches, but the crowds came proclaiming, that is singing and shouting, the scriptures. Uh, we saw this in the scripture that we read this morning in Psalm 118, verses 25 and 16, 25 and 26 rather. Uh, Hosanna, God save us. Deliver us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This was the psalm that they were singing. And so Hosanna was that anticipatory cry of the nation longing for the Messiah to come and to deliver them. And the crowds that day saw Jesus Christ uh, as that Messiah who would come and would deliver them from the Roman occupation. In the words of commentator Kent Hughes, he said the crowd fully expected Jesus to issue a call to arms and drive out the hated Romans. That is how the people saw Jesus that day. John even records their cry, blessed is the king of Israel. 
But in the midst of all of this flurry of people and voices being raised, our Lord did something that the surging mob did not recognize at that time. And that is that while the crowds were coming, proclaiming the scripture, Jesus was going, or Jesus went fulfilling the scriptures. Jesus went fulfilling the scripture. John tells us in verse 14 that Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. The synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the passage that Gary read to us, tell us what happened that day. As Jesus approached the town of Bethpage, he sent two of his disciples there, and they brought back a colt for him. And arriving with that colt, Jesus sat on that colt, fulfilling the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament found in the prophet Zechariah. And in John, verse 15, we're giving we're given an abridged recording of that prophecy. But in Zechariah 9, 9, we read the following words. I don't think the crowd understood that this was the f- scriptures were being fulfilled. I, I, think, I don't think they missed it, but John is filling in the gaps for us. He's showing us how Jesus came fulfilling the scriptures. Zechariah's prophecy goes like this. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Zechariah says rejoice. John Putting together Isaiah chapter 40 verse 9, Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 says, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Daughter of Zion is the city of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming. Do not be afraid. Rejoice greatly. What kind of king would be this one who is coming? Zechariah tells us he would be a righteous king. That is that he would... Uh, exercise justice. He would not be like any other king who would ever sat in a position of authority on this earth. He would be a king who would rule with righteousness and justice. He would be a king that who would usher in salvation. Zechariah looked to the victory that the king would secure. He would be gentle and humble, not full of pomp and circumstance. He was gentle and lowly. Jesus Christ came the first time as a servant in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 10, verse 45, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to what? Yeah, yeah, let's, uh, let's say it together. To give his life as a ransom. Oh, the crowd wanted a king that day, a king with a sword, but Jesus came as a king bringing not political, military deliverance, but salvation from sin. The crowd that day wanted a king with a sword, someone who would wipe out the Romans, but Christ came as a king to defeat Satan, sin, and death. The crowd wanted a king with a sword, someone who would make their temporal life better, but Jesus Christ came to provide and secure eternal life. And so the question that we're... we're, we're pressed upon to consider this morning is this. As the crowd misunderstood Jesus looking for someone who would be to their gain, 
What kind of king are you looking for and expecting today? Some of us, we approach Christ on a transactional way. I'll do this and you do that. That never works. Christ is king. And we must surrender our lives to him. Like the crowds, there are many today who misunderstand who Jesus is and seek only what they can get from him. But not only were there the crowds on Palm Sunday who misunderstood who Jesus was and why he came, there were also the Pharisees. Look again at verse 19 of John chapter 12. Verse 19, John tells us, So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Now, that has to take us back to John chapter 11. After the, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, the Pharisees and the chief priests, they got together and Caiaphas, the high priest, said someone has to die. It's better that one person die for the nation than the whole nation die. John tells us he spoke prophetically, not even knowing that he was speaking prophetically. But the Pharisees, they're getting angst. They have, they have angst. They have growing angst. We have to hurry up. We have to do something. This isn't getting us anywhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Again, not knowing it, but speaking prophetically about why Christ came, right? That the whole world would go after him. That the whole world might find salvation through him. And so like the Pharisees, there are those who reject Jesus and actively resist those who follow him. This is the second response. There are some who are like the Pharisees who reject Jesus Christ and they actively resist those who follow him. The Pharisees of this day, of Jesus' day, were the religious elites. They were the lawyers. They were the strict legalists. And they represent for us those today who ultimately reject Jesus Christ and they're the ones who actively resist those who seek to follow Christ. You say, why do you say that, Pastor Kevin? Well, later on in the Holy Week, Jesus would be in the temple area. You saw the, the temple wall, the city wall, the temple wall there in that picture there of Jerusalem. Jesus would be in that area and he would be teaching in parables. One of the parables that Jesus taught that week was the parable of the tenants. The tenants of the vineyard who were left in charge of the vineyard while the master was gone. And he would send his servants to see how the tenants were doing and the tenants would beat up the servants and they would send them back battered and wounded. And so the master said, I'll send them my son. Surely they'll listen to him. And when the son came, the tenants said, we don't want this guy to rule over us and they beat him up and they killed him. Matthew records for us the words of the Pharisees and the chief priests. Matthew chapter 21. I think we have the scripture up there. Yeah, verses 21, 45, and 46. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard that Jesus' parables, they knew they were talking, that he was talking about them. And they looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. And so the Pharisees were those who said, we don't want Christ to rule over us. We're going to do whatever we can to get rid of him. 
But not only did they reject Jesus, they also actively hindered those who were seeking him or trying to follow him. Later on in John chapter 12, when you get down to verse 42 and 43, um, <clears throat> you look down in verse 42 of John chapter 12, it says, yet at the same time, many among the leaders believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue for they loved human praise more than praise from God. Has anything changed, really? There are still those who actively resist Christ, uh, reject Christ, and they actively resist those who are seeking to follow Him. You say, how do they do that? Well, I think there's two ways, many ways, but let me bring to your attention two ways, two ways that those who reject Christ resist those who seek to follow Christ. I've been <clears throat> reading through the book of Revelation for my personal quiet time, and the Bible promises a blessing in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, that those who read that book will be blessed, and those who read it aloud will be blessed. So you ought to read the book of Revelation. And as you go through that book, you'll notice that there's at least two ways that the world opposes and resists the church of Jesus Christ. In every generation, not just in the end times, but in every generation from the beginning of the church age to what time Christ returns, the church, I mean the world actively persecutes the church. We, in the United States, we've been living in a bubble. But we have brothers and sisters today who are suffering for Christ, ostracized from their families, having to meet in secret for fear, imprisonment, harassment, harm, physical beating, even martyrdom. A ministry that highlights what's happening for the church around the world even today is the Voice of the Martyrs Ministry. You may want to look them up online. Their monthly magazine details the stories of what, it, what Christians today experience in following Christ. Persecution is one way that the world actively resists those who seek to follow Christ. Another way is what Revelation describes as the seduction of the world, the seduction of the world. The unbelieving world seeks to entice Christians away from their devotion and purity of following Jesus Christ by enticing us with the things and the ways of the world. And this is why the New Testament warns and exhorts the church, Christians, you and I who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, in places like James chapter 4 that James writes, he says, do you not know that friendship with the world is hatred or enmity with God? 1 John chapter 2, John writes and he says, do not love the things of the world for the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, all these things are passing, but he who does the will of God remains forever and so not only are there those who misunderstand Jesus and they seek to follow him for gain there are those who openly reject Christ 
even today, and they actively resist those who seek to follow him through persecution, through seduction, other ways. And as I want to end this morning by considering the response of the disciples to Jesus Christ, look again at verse 16. John here is giving us an insight into the mindset of the disciples. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize or did they remember that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. At first, they didn't understand. But when Jesus was glorified, something happened. They didn't at first comprehend. They didn't at first understand. But when Jesus was glorified, something changed inside of the disciples. They realized, they remembered what the scriptures had said. They realized and remembered what had been done to Christ. On Palm Sunday, they didn't get it. But after he was glorified, they did get it. And so we have to consider this. I would like for us to consider how and when was Jesus glorified? When the Bible says that Jesus was glorified, something happened. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, let's take a look in John's Gospel. You guys, you guys okay with that? And what are you going to say? No? I don't know why I ask you for I do that a lot. I don't know why I do that. Go back with me in your Bibles to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. Let's take a look at what the Scriptures have to say here. This here was <clears throat> at the, one of the feasts. I think this was the feast of... Um, lights, if I'm not mistaken. And in verse 37, uh, we read these words. On the last and the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. Now look at verse 39. By this, he meant the Spirit. Whom those, uh, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. John here is writing after the fact. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So somehow, the glorification of Jesus is connected with the giving of the Holy Spirit. And we know from Scripture, Acts chapter 2, Pentecost Sunday, the Holy Spirit was given that day. So somehow the glorification of Jesus Christ is connected with the coming, the giving of the Holy Spirit. Go back to John chapter 12. We're going to look um, later that night, John chapter 12, verse uh, 23. John chapter 12, verse 23. Jesus said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, when you go through the Gospel of John, you're going to read it several different times. The first time is John chapter 2 at the wedding in Cana where they ran out of wine and Mary said to Jesus, um, uh, go to the, go to the, or said to the, to the uh, attendants, go to Jesus and, and do whatever he tells you to do. And what did Jesus say? My hour has not yet come. Several times he says that in the book of John. My hour has not yet come. Chapter 12 Holy week, now my hour to be glorified has come. So something this week 
has to do with the glorification of Jesus Christ. John chapter 13, verse 31. John chapter 13, verse 31. Jesus is in the upper room with the disciples. He's washed their feet. And verse 31 says, when he was gone, that is Judas, when Judas had left, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. And so again, we're seeing now that this glorification, this is now Thursday evening, it's moving forward. Now is the time for the Son to be glorified. John chapter 17, verse 1. John chapter 17, verse 1. This is Christ's high priestly prayer. Maybe in the upper room, it may be in the Garden of Gethsemane, but this is the prayer that Jesus prayed for his disciples and those who would believe on him afterwards, and, and he prayed for himself. And after, Je- after Jesus had said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your son may glorify you. So this, when we're moving, the hour has come, it's now. And yet, go over to John chapter 20, John chapter 20, verse uh, 9. John chapter 20, verse 9. Um, I like hearing the pages of Scripture turn. Does this sound good? It's going to be horrible when all we're all doing is, is coming to church with our cell phones, Right? We're not going to hear anything. John chapter 20, verse 9. This is Resurrection Sunday. Mary Magdalene has gone to the tomb. Jesus is not there. She's run back to get Peter and John. John and Peter, they've raced to the tomb. John outran Peter. Peter runs into the barges past John, looks into the tomb, and, and they go back home. Verse 9. John here is just kind of, my Bible is in parentheses. John is kind of like giving us an editorial note. They, Peter and John, the disciples, still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So the glorification and their understanding of the glorification of Christ now somehow has to be connected to his resurrection. Go over a few more pages to the next book, the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1. This is now... 40 days after Resurrection Sunday. Acts chapter 1. Jesus has been with his disciples these 40 days. He's been teaching them. And verse 6, it says, They gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? 40 days after the resurrection. They're still thinking, okay, when's it going to happen, Jesus? When are you going to be the king? When are you going to set up the kingdom? When are you going to get rid of the Romans? They're still not getting it. No, we put all that together. John chapter 7. He was speaking about the coming of the Holy Spirit whom had not yet been sent because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Everything changes in 10 days. And what changed was the giving of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost Sunday. I want you to see this in chapter 2, John, Acts chapter 2. You guys, you guys okay? All right, here we go. Pentecost Sunday, Right? God gives the Holy Spirit to the 120 followers of Jesus Christ. They're in that room in Jerusalem. And, the, and, and Luke tells us that on that day when the Spirit was given, three things happened. Um, there was a sound of a mighty rushing wind. There was 
tongues of fire. If you remember from the Old Testament, the Shekinah glory that would go with, God, with God's people through the wilderness. Remember that he would lead them by a cloud of, uh, by day and a pillar of fire by night. Remember that? The glory of God lead. Now, the glory of God is now falling on the church as individ- this fire begins to separate. And there's these tongues of fire that appear to be resting over them. And the people there are speaking in languages that they have not learned but languages that people can understand. 17 different languages, Pentecost Sunday, heard and understood. People are going, they're drunk. They've been having too much alcohol. And Peter stands up and says, listen, it's not alcohol. We're not drinking. We're good Baptists. (laughs) Some nervous laughter there. Acts chapter 2, verse 22, Peter's preaching. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was, a man, Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God... Oh, those are two great words, aren't they? But God. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Well, we're just going to do Easter Sunday today, all right? Quotes Psalm chapter 16, verse 29. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. We can go to his tomb, we can roll that stone away and his bones are there. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that, his, that he would place on his, one of his descendants on that throne. And seeing that what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that is the anointed one, the Christ, that he is not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are witnesses of it, exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and he has poured out on you what you now see and hear. Again, Peter quotes from the Old Testament, verse 36. Therefore, let all, here's his conclusion, here's his application. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Far off geographically. Far off racially. The gospel's for the Gentiles. Far off chronologically. Those who are living in 2022. For all whom the Lord our God will call. 
So what does it mean when John writes in chapter 12, verse 16, the disciples did not understand these things, but after he was glorified, they realized, they remembered. The glorification of Jesus is, refers to his death, his resurrection, his exaltation to heaven. Because Jesus Christ died, because Jesus rose again, because today he's at the right hand of the Father, he has been glorified. The disciples, they began to put it all together. You see it in Peter's sermon on Pentecost Sunday. They understood that this is not a political kingdom that Jesus came to establish. It's a spiritual kingdom that he came to establish. And so, what's the point? The point is this. Like the disciples who came to understand, we too must believe, follow, and serve Christ the King. Because Jesus Christ is King, you must come to believe him. John writing this gospel, a few chapters later, chapter 20, verse 31, he writes his purpose. He says, I'm writing these things so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing you would have eternal life. What do we do with Christ the King? We can't make him serve our purposes and our agenda. We can't actively resist him. <laughs> Jesus Christ is coming back and he's ruling and reigning and we're gonna see, last verse, that he's the one who has the name that's above all names for now, both now this age and age to come. But you must believe him. I'm not talking about do you believe about Jesus Christ yeah, I believe, I, believe in, I believe about Jesus Christ. There, there's somebody named Jesus. I'm not even asking if you believe the things that the Bible says about Jesus. Do you believe Jesus himself? Have you put your faith and your trust in him? Are you resting on Jesus Christ and him alone for the salvation of your soul? That's the purpose of the gospel. That is why Jesus Christ came. He came to give his life Easter weekend to die on a cross, to pay for your sin, my sin. God raised him to life so you and I could have eternal life. Have you put your faith in Christ? If you've not done that, you must do this. Believing in Jesus is not about being good, better than some. It's not about being religious. It's about uh, confessing, the Bible says, confessing with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, believing in our heart that God is raised from the dead. That's the only way to be saved. You must believe him. The disciples came to not only believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but they also followed him, and you and I, we must come to understand who Jesus is and believe him and follow him. Go back to John chapter 12, that week, Passover week, Jesus is speaking, verses 24 to 26. And Jesus, verse 24, spoke about the grain dying and that unless the grain is put in the ground and it dies, it will never bring forth life. Jesus here, I think, is speaking about his death, 
Only through his death there comes life. Verse 25. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever seeks to keep their life will lose it. What does it mean to follow Jesus Christ? That you and I must not only believe in Jesus Christ, but we must follow him by dying to sin and denying ourselves. Verse 26. Whoever serves me must follow me. This, has to, this speaks about the direction of our lives, the affection of our hearts, the longing of our hearts, the ambition of our life. Where is Christ going? Are you going that way? What is Christ doing? Are you doing that? What does Christ love? Is that what you love? What does Christ hate? Is that what you hate? Follow him. And then serve him. Verse 26, whoever serves me must follow me. Where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Someone said this, that whoever serves me, that's our duty. My father will honor him, that's our reward. And so here we find in this passage, this Palm Sunday, the three responses to Jesus Christ the King. Some misunderstood him. Others rejected him and resisted him. And yet others, after his death, resurrection, and ascension to heaven, believed, followed, and served him. What is your response this morning to Christ the King? Let's see, why does this matter? I just want to end. I'm going to end with this verse and we'll pray, okay? <clears throat> uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20, what verses, uh, verses 20 to 23. Jesus, Paul here is praying for the church in Ephesus and he's praying that they would know the power of God. Verse 20. Um, I think we got... I think we're missing a verse here. Um, it says, uh, he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. That is God. God raised Christ from the dead, seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. God has given to Christ this name that is above every name, not only now, but a name for all eternity, right? So you think about the great names of this world, the great names that are against Christ and against the, the issues that you're facing. Christ's name is greater than Putin. Christ's name is greater than the problems that you face. Christ's name is greater than whatever the circumstances you're facing, both in this age, age to come. You guys are catching up. <laughs> and not only this, God has placed all things under his feet, appointed him to be head. Amen? But notice why. Over everything for the church. You see that? God now is actively using all of his power to accomplish his loving purposes in his church. And if you're a Christ, if you're in Christ, you're part of his church. Two of you got it. 
Take heart, brothers and sisters. Do not fear. Do not live in defeat. Do not live in despair. Christ came. He's king over all. Christ is coming again.